0: Ooh, almost lost that sheet. It would not be good. This um, Christmas season we have been for the past two Sundays considering. Come thou along, expected Jesus. What type of expectation is there to this birth that we celebrate? What type of meaning should we find there? Much in our culture finds only the sentimentality of a beautiful baby born to a young family. There is sentimental beauty there. I don't want to deny that, but I want to see beyond that. The Old Testament, literally three-quarters of our Bible, is predicting, looking forward to this event. And the New Testament um, has many, many ways of framing, looking at the birth of our Lord. One of them uh, that you may not be as familiar with is found in 1 Corinthians 15. So in the past weeks, we've considered this baby born in the manger, this baby born to Mary and Joseph, is the promised seed of of the woman who would rescue the world from sin and from death, who would fix what went wrong in the garden. This child adored by shepherds, celebrated by angels, is David's greater son. This is the child-born king of the Jews. Well, another title for our Lord, another way to look at him, is given in 1 Corinthians 15, and it is the second or the last Adam. We know in Genesis chapter 1, the creation of the first Adam. And yet Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 45 to 49. Thus it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. It's not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we also shall bear the image of the man of heaven. You see what Paul's doing here. And he does it twice. He does it in 1 Corinthians 15 in the passage Pastor Daniel read. An extended contrast between the first Adam and the last Adam. He did it also in Romans chapter 5, what Alostrander read. An extended contrast. One of the ways of understanding the baby in the manger, the Christ child, is in contrast to Adam, created back in the garden. And in that sense, as he is the seed of the woman promised to remedy what went wrong in the garden, we better understand who this child is. So for the few minutes I have this evening, I would want to suggest a few similarities first between Jesus and Adam to help understand the comparison and then far more importantly dissimilarities distinctions between the two Paul helps us understand who Christ is in contrast to Adam so how are they similar well consider that both Jesus and Adam are uniquely created, uniquely brought into this world. Jesus' body, his, his humanity, was due to a virgin birth. Adam was formed out of the dust of the ground. Both of these men come into this world uniquely. We read in Luke chapter 1, as the angel appears to Mary, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You should call his name Jesus. Secondly, and more significantly, both Adam and Jesus stand as heads, leaders of their respective races. In that sense, all of humanity is either in Adam or in Christ. So Adam is made first, and God makes him the representative of his people. So goes Adam, so goes his people. And Christ stands for a people. Third, Both Adam and Jesus are commissioned by God with work to do and a mission to fulfill. For Adam in the garden, it was not to eat the fruit. It was to um, govern and rule the garden and to be fruitful and multiply. And for Jesus, in, in John 17, he says this, Father, I've glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. So, both of these heads of humanities, both of these uniquely coming into this world beings have a mission, have work to do. And both were sorely tempted and tried by the devil himself. In the garden, the serpent coming to the woman, deceiving her, the two of them leading Adam into sin. But have you ever wondered, has it ever struck you as odd why Mark's gospel makes it emphatic that Jesus' temptation was part of God's plan? No sooner is Jesus baptized than Mark 1, 11 through 12. A voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. The spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness to be tempted or tested. Because as the last Adam, he too must be tried and tested. Satan himself tempting Jesus with his hunger, with his desire for vindication, with his desire to, if possible, avoid the cross. Now, we know that Adam failed and sinned under temptation, and here's where the differences begin to emerge. Jesus triumphed, being faithful unto death. He prays in the garden, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. Here's where we start to see the distinction, the difference. But before we look further, just consider... Most, I think, significantly in the comparison. Both Jesus and Adam, through the results of their testing, irrevocably and fully transformed their people's standing and very being before God. Because of what Adam did in the garden, it marked us. It changed our standing before God. It changed our being. We became mortal. We could die. We do die. And because of what Jesus Christ has done, our very being and standing before God has changed as well. So let me briefly then consider, and from this passage, five crucial, glorious, wonderful distinctions. So you're looking at this baby in the manger, you're looking at this child born to Mary and Joseph. This is the remedy to what went wrong in the garden. And one of the glorious ways we can look at him is as the second or the last Adam. The first Adam failed. Utterly. And when God calls him to account, he blames his wife. Christ dies for his wife. For her sin and not his own. Let me go through this. And we get this from First Corinthians 15 and Romans 9. I'll try to move somewhat quickly. First, Adam brought guilt to all. And Christ has made us to be righteous. So listen to Romans 5.19. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. This is the biblical teaching of original sin. You and I come into this world sinners. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. Because in Adam, in his fall, the whole rest of the race goes with him. We come into this world hardwired for sin. Adam brought guilt to all. But listen to the just-as-so-then language of Romans 5.19. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. second Adam is superior to the first Adam. Adam brought us death. Jesus brings us the resurrection from the dead. This is now in 1 Corinthians 15. Listen to um, what Paul says here. Adam brought us death. Jesus brought the resurrection from the dead and life. For as by one man came death, this is verse 21 and following. By one man came death. By one man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die get it again, one man is responsible. One man has this massive effect on his humanity. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. So Adam brings guilt. We become sinners. Christ's death on the cross, here's the one who will make us righteous. Christ, I mean, Adam brings death into the world, and it spreads to us, and so we die. We're living in the midst of a pandemic, a season of sickness and death. And it's all rooted right back to, traces right back to the garden and the fall. It's further evidence something is wrong in this world. Something is terribly wrong in this world. And it's not COVID-19. It's our sinfulness and our guilt before a living God. And, and the judgment of death, disease, sickness, reminds us, points to that reality. Well, here is the one who brings life. This child comes to bring resurrection from the death and life. Adam brought corruption. Jesus brings immortality. 1 Corinthians 15, 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. The first man is of the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. Corruption, decay, weakness enters this world because of the fall. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8 this, Not just spreading to us, sinful people, but to the whole world. The creation waits with eager longing for the revelation of the sons of God. an extended groan of the corruption in the creation which ties back to Adam in the garden. Here is the cure. Here is the remedy. Here is God's solution. Here is the one who will make it right. In fact, Paul makes it clear. Jesus came. Adam brings death into the world. Christ comes to put death to death. You remember the passage Pastor Daniel read? He must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Adam is the death bringer. Christ is the death killer, ender. That is the one who is in the manger. The second Adam is greater than the first. The second Adam is superior in every way to the first. Adam brought dishonor. Jesus brings us glory. Adam brought dishonor. Jesus brings us glory. So it is with the resurrection from the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown is in dishonor. It is raised in glory. We cover ourselves. We we sense the shamefulness. We sense the shame of the decay and the sickness around us. We, We sense the shame of our own guilt and sin. So not only are we mortal, and not only are we dying, and not only is the world around us growing, we have within us a sense of shame and guilt, rightly ours. Christ comes to bring glory. Glory to himself and glory to those who are his. Adam finally brought us into the ground. Jesus comes to bring us to heaven. That's the final point. If you remember the two humanities... You are marked by, you resemble the one you are in. As the man, as was the man of dust, he writes, so also are those who are of the dust. So there's the man of dust, and there's those, his people, who are of the dust. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. God makes Adam out of the ground, and to ground we return. So also are those um sorry. As the man of dust, so also are those who are of dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. There are people who are not of this earth any longer. They are of the man of heaven, and therefore they can be said to be of heaven. That's their natural habitat and abode. The two atoms could not be more distinct and more different in the outcomes of their effects upon their people. What went wrong in the garden? Rebellion against God. Treason. Sin, defiance. What is God's solution? He sends the second man, the last Adam. He succeeds and triumphs in every place where the first Adam failed. He completes his work. He perseveres and triumphs in temptation. He does not cast his wife under the bus, as it were. He dies for his bride. And through that, he brings us life, the resurrection. Forgiveness and righteousness. He takes our corruption and gives us immortality. He takes our dishonor and gives us glory. And we no longer have the expectation purely of dying and returning to the ground, but we have the expectation to be with Him in glory. And that's the meaning of the child major. This is the second and last Adam, which then, of course, raises the question: How can I be in Christ? That you don't want to be an Adam. <laughs> You'll bear his mark. You'll bear his guilt. You, you want to be found in Christ. Well, Paul begins First Corinthians 15 by telling us. He's speaking to people who he believes he's speaking to are in Christ. He tells them how that happened. Now listen to this. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, How you can enter into Christ, bear his mark, the effects of his work, is by believing, trusting, turning from whatever you're building your life on and believing in Christ and and his work, his death, burial, resurrection. He dies on the cross for our sins, not for his own. Unlike the first Adam, he doesn't run from the consequences of his wife's actions, even though he's there with her. He, he embraces them, punish me instead. He perfectly completes the work God gives him, and then he bears our sin and guilt on the cross, and he has raised from the dead the first fruits of the resurrection. Belief, trust, faith in him and in his work is how we are saved, how we experience the benefits of union with Christ, the forgiveness of our sins, the removal of our shame and dishonor, the hope of heaven. But I would point you to the beginning of this passage. He's writing to a church. He warns them, hey, hold fast to this. And I know, you know, Christmas time, Easter time, there are seasons of the church life when more people show up than usual. And so I think it's a good word for us all to consider. And you're welcome here. We're glad you're here. God bless you. But all of us would do well to hear this word. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach you, unless you believed in vain. God has done for us what we could not do. The second, the last Adam has triumphed, he has completed his work. Let us hold fast. Let us trust in him and let us experience the consequence of his mark, of his righteousness, of his life, and the hope of eternal life. We're going to sing our closing song. We're we'll proud to raise the lights afterwards if you have any questions or you want to talk. I'll be here. Other elders will be here. We really hope you have a blessed and happy Christmas. But cherish it for the right reasons and understand who, who this is we are celebrating. David's greater son, the seed of the woman, the second Adam. It changes everything everything. It means everything. Hold fast. Please stand.